everyone. Welcome. This is Robin Sills from Trinity Health of New England and St. Mary's Hospital. Welcome to Medically Speaking. I hope everyone is enjoying this incredibly beautiful weather that we're having. I think we're going to have it for a few more days and uh, just maybe a little bit rain coming up this weekend. So that'll make us force us inside cleaning our houses, Johnny, which I never do. Um, and because of this incredible weather we're having, people are getting out again, hopefully um, out and about and getting their exercise. And along with exercise, of course, comes some common injuries um, and issues that you didn't notice during the winter time because you were sedentary. Um, but I am really excited tonight to talk about a specialty that is a specialty that um, a lot of us know. It's podiatry, so um, everything to do with the foot. But we have a new generation of podiatrists that have recently um, come about. And this um, new generation of podiatry are also foot and ankle surgeons. And their specialty has grown um, so much and has created such an incredible impact on how we can treat patients and foot ailments that I'm really excited to have with me tonight one of our podiatrists and foot and ankle specialist, Dr. Amy Bruce. Hi, Doc. Hi, Robin. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Excellent. Thank you so much for having me tonight. I am so excited to have you and more excited because I actually got to meet you in person finally. Um, and yeah. I'm really excited that I we've only talked on the phone and, you know, via video, but I actually got to meet you and it was really great to see you in person. So it makes it a little more easier to have our conversation tonight. Yes, absolutely. So I'm going to brag about you a little bit. So just give me a minute because I want people to truly understand what kind of education and training that you have for this specialty because I think when the general population thinks of podiatry, it's, it's, it's of course, a lot of the things that you do, but it is truly a very microcosmic view of what you do. Right. So you're a fellowship trained foot and ankle surgeon. Um, for us, you're also a clinical instructor um, with Trinity Health of New England Medical Group in St. Francis. You received your medical degree from Temple um, in podiatric medicine. And then you completed a four-year surgical residency in reconstructive foot and ankle surgery at the University of Pennsylvania and Penn Presbyterian Medical Center in Philly, where my son is right now. Um, not in school there, but living there. <laughs> Uh, then you complete advanced specialty fellowship in trauma and reconstructive foot and ankle surgery with the Southeast per Permanente Medical Group at Kaiser Permanente and Emory University in Georgia. You know, that to me just speaks volumes as to the level of work and the difference within this specialty. So, you know, maybe if you can just educate our, our listeners about this specialty and the new the new generation of foot and ankle surgeons. Yeah, to start and to back up a little bit, so podiatrists, they have always, you know, ever since the start of the profession, have always really been, um, in my opinion, you know, since the focus has always been on foot and ankle treatment and management, they're really knowledgeable, um, full scope about the foot and ankle um, from the very start of um, the profession. Um, with more training and with residencies uh, being three years at a minimum now and um, 
some are four years. And, you know, the training has significantly advanced over the past 10 years, I would say, five to 10 years, um, with surgical emphasis on management and treatment of all foot and ankle um, conditions. Uh, so many um, providers coming out into the field now, they do have this advanced training and some specialists are seeking um, further training with um, a fellowship. Um, and the fellowship affords you the opportunity to focus more um, on areas that may be of interest to you, whether it's trauma, whether it's total ankle replacement, whether it's sports medicine. So you just dive in further and deeper and really specialize on an area you are already specialized in. Um, so you really become some of the most knowledgeable providers um, in my opinion, of the foot and ankle. We spend all of our education um, from the medical level to the residency level and then fellowship focused on the foot and ankle. So in my situation, I have five years of dedicated foot and ankle um, training. And, you know, that's really um, kind of where our profession is going um, in the future. Um, just advanced training um, from different techniques um, to further research, um, and really promoting the specialty. It's really exciting. You know, this was newly introduced to me in the Waterbury market with, you know, as you well know, some of the colleagues that you've known and gone to school with, which is really kind of cool yeah. because, you know, you're part of our medical group, which is super exciting. And here in the Waterbury market, we have some um, of your colleagues that are partnered with us at St. Mary's Hospital. So I see this as becoming a really big regional program and how we look at podiatry, foot and ankle surgery, and the treatment of our patients. And it's a very, it's a unique, to me, it's really unique because as a nurse, this isn't something I was familiar with in the world of podiatry. And now it just mm -hmm. seems like it's expanded. And I think in what you can treat and some of the things that you do, which I definitely want to focus on, is going to bring a whole new world to patients in the management of foot ailments. Definitely. Definitely agree. So when we kind of went back and forth a bit and talked about the specialty, I know you want to talk a bit about the pathology. And, and I think that's really an important piece because it's going to describe a bit about what you treat. And then I'd like to go down the road to some of the common things that we hear in podiatry and how they're treated and maybe some newer, different approaches. So do you want to start with the pathology a bit? Yeah, and focusing on if we, which, which aspect, because we can focus on the ankle or the foot. I know the ankle is always um, of top interest to me because there's so many conditions that can present in the ankle. So I think um, that's a good place to start because I don't think when we think of podiatry, we think of the ankle. So that's really interesting. So I would definitely like to say, let's start with the ankle and what are some of the things that you see and you do treat there? Yeah, so podiatrists or foot and ankle specialists were really specialists on the foot and the ankle. So most people go to their primary care provider or they go to an urgent care and they have ankle pain. And sometimes it can be very vague um, or sometimes it can be an acute injury like an ankle fracture, mm -hmm. um, an ankle sprain, or, you know, someone may have been playing basketball with their friends they haven't played in a while. They feel a pop in the back of their ankle. Um, and they suffer an Achilles tendon rupture. Mm. Um, so those are some of the common ankle pathologies um, we see. Um, but then people also have, you know, chronic ache in the ankle, and that can be from underlying arthritis um, that may be present. 
or people suffer from gout and right. gout can present in the ankle and cause arthritis there, as well as rheumatoid arthritis, which we know that affects commonly the hands. Right. Um, and some people start to develop um, deformities on their feet and pain in the ankle, and that can sometimes be found out to be from um, rheumatoid arthritis. You know, the um, ankle and the ankle stabilizes us, right? So when the ankles exactly. are weak, I'm... I'm I'm the worst. I've always been. I'm so uncoordinated, but I am the worst with my ankle. I will trip or roll my ankle stepping off of a curb. And, you know, I think we see a lot of ankle injuries, especially in sports, for sure, with especially basketball. But recently with the with the, um, you know, with the March Madness, I saw a couple players roll those ankles and you cringe. Absolutely. How do yeah. you manage that as a foot and ankle specialist? So how do you manage even a typical sprain? Yeah, so most of the time, most ankle sprains can be managed conservatively. So that means immediately when you roll your ankle and you feel maybe a pop, you want to rest, you mm. want to ice, you want to elevate. You want to do that for about a week. Um, and then the next phase with um, ligament or ankle sprain treatment is getting it stronger and mobility. So I really encourage people to be put into physical therapy pretty soon after the injury, again, like about a week after, to really start to strengthen up um, the ligaments and the muscle and tendons that um, span the ankle joint. So that's really important. Um, So that usually happens after. And then, you know, there's also gait training and all that that happens in physical therapy. And so then by about three weeks, most people are back to normal. Um, You may need an ankle brace if you're going to return to sports. Um, The ankle sprain is really severe. That that progress of treatment may be a little bit longer. Um, So it all depends on the type of sprain and the severity, and that would be evaluated in the office. And sometimes we get advanced imaging to see um, if there's a delay in the um, symptom resolution. And, you know, a lot of times I'm sure that area is weak if you don't heal it the right way. Right, Where, which Correct. would cause you probably re-injure it more sooner than you should than it you, you would have had you done the right therapy. Yes, and some people they are chronic ankle sprainers, um, and they can easily roll their ankles. So when you have someone like that, you kind of want to look at everything from the top down and really assess. Uh, their alignment, their knee alignment, their leg alignment, their ankle, and then definitely look at their foot because some people have bone um, deformities or an alignment of your heel that may make you more prone to rolling your ankle uh, inward. So that's very important to assess in people who are chronic sprainers um, because that may have have to be corrected, the hind foot. Um, And then also if you chronically sprain your ankle and you did not recover with physical therapy and various conservative treatments, um, surgery may be indicated. And um, that would involve repairing those ankle ligaments and sometimes putting a camera in the ankle joint, which is known as arthroscopy, and really looking in the ankle joint at the cartilage and making sure there's no damage there and if there is, repairing it. And then again, strengthening up those ligaments um, with um, strong types of sutures and, and, and then rehabbing after that. So sometimes that's needed. People, don't, people discount, I think, physical therapy too often 
or they'll start and they stop. And without, I'm sure, you know, you see that all the time or, you know, more often than not. And that's unfortunate because not seeing it through can just cause more damage than good. Absolutely. And it's a time commitment. I think that's the biggest challenge for a lot of people is working it into their schedule. Um, Sometimes we can do home exercise treatment programs where they do the exercises at home, but you have to be really dedicated to it. And so sometimes getting on a schedule with formal therapy is the best option for some people. Do you, you know, I don't, I don't want to totally move away from the ankle, but you mentioned this. Um, You see a lot of people that have heel pain. Um, Mm -hmm. What can, what do you attribute that to? What causes heel pain? So there's a lot of different causes for heel pain. I think the most common one that I see is someone says, when I get out of bed first thing in the morning, mm-hmm. I take the first step and I have shooting, aching pain to my heel, and then I start to walk and then it gets better. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the times that's due to what's known as plantar fasciitis. Mm-hmm. And plantar fasciitis um, is basically inflammation in the plantar fascia and that's a tight band of soft tissue in the bottom of your foot that really supports your arch and stabilizes your foot. Um, What people don't know is that fibers from your Achilles tendon inserts into that plantar fascia as well. So plantar fasciitis is not only inflammation in the plantar fascia but it's usually due to having a tight Achilles tendon. Wow. So when you come into the office, that can be easily evaluated. And so a lot of the times the treatment for that would be stretching exercises focused on strengthening um, or loosening up um, and lengthening your Achilles tendon with exercises to do that. Um, And then also dedicated foot exercises as well. Do you Um, see that injury? Um, How do you see, you know, what causes it? So, you know, do you see that more when people are like jumping into an exercise regimen after, as we just said earlier, sitting on the couch all winter and then jumping out to do a walking regimen? Yeah. So when you're kind of not very active on your feet too Mm. often, you have a desk job or something like that, that plantar fascia tightens up. And when you then start to do an activity like Zumba or CrossFit all of a sudden, um, you start to really stretch that plantar fascia and it can get inflamed. Also, it depends on your foot type too. And what I mean by that is some people have flat feet or higher arched feet. Um, People who have that higher arched foot have a little bit more of a tendency to develop the plantar fasciitis um, because the band in the bottom of the foot is very short. And so when you start to do more activities, all of a sudden you stretch it out, you can get inflammation in that heel, and then you develop those symptoms. Um, Some people do also have an acute injury that can cause a tear in the band, um, but it's more commonly a kind of like a progressive chronic type of pathology that we see there. Well, you mentioned flat feet. So we hear that a lot, right? And people are always getting or going to the store and maybe getting inserts and putting things into their shoes. How do you diagnose, number one, flat feet? Does the foot actually look flat Um, when you're examining the patient or what, you know, what causes that? And is it just your bone structure, heredity? And how do you treat it? Yeah, so flat feet, actually flat feet are probably one of the most common foot types that people have. Um, So that's the first thing. Most 
people who have flat feet, they don't really have symptoms. And by flat feet, that means that the sometimes the entire sole of the foot touches the ground when you're standing. And you may notice your ankles start to roll inward. Um, and so that's kind of what we see visually when we're looking at someone's foot and we're um, seeing a flat foot. Um, the causes for this are varied. A lot of the times, if your parents have them on your mother or father's side, you may have them. So there definitely is a genetic component. Um, we talked about it, the Achilles tendon being tight um, with plantar fasciitis, but also having a tight Achilles tendon can contribute to a flat foot as well. Um, and there's other reasons too. Sometimes people have what we call coalition. So there's fusion of two of the um, bones in the foot um, and that can cause the foot to be flat and very rigid. Um, also, um, arthritis can set in and cause the flat, foot to flatten, um, sometimes with pregnancy and ligaments getting loose. The feet can also flatten. Um, and then also there's other conditions as well that can lead to that. Um, the main thing is that if it's not painful, you just monitor it. If it is painful, you can try um, custom or prefabricated orthotics or inserts. Um, when looking at inserts, I really do recommend people try to find inserts that are rigid. So hmm. what I mean by that is if you can bend it and reshape it with your hand, it will not support you when you're standing on it. So you really want to look at that closely when you're looking at um, orthotics or inserts. Um, a lot of times the over-the-counter ones are more so cushioned for right. the support. You know, so with a flat foot, you really need support to recreate that arch. Um, what I will say with flat feet is that they generally tend to be progressive. Um, so over time, they can get flatter. Over time, they can become painful. Um, so when that happens and the orthotics don't really offer you the support and symptom relief anymore, then surgery is sometimes needed to correct that deformity. Is and it a simple surgery? Uh, so it depends. It depends on is this a flexible flat foot, meaning can I realign it with my hand simply, I can see that in the office, and kind of correct that? Mm -hmm. um, does it, or is it uh, rigid, meaning it's stiff, I cannot do that. Mm -hmm. If it's flexible, we can make cuts in the bone to shift and realign the deformity and sometimes repair the tendons that are loose. One thing I didn't mention is sometimes people can get a traumatic flat foot as well if you rupture what's known as your posterior tibial tendon. Um, so sometimes that has to be repaired. And that is one of the tendons we repair with the flexible flat foot as well. Um, but if it's more rigid or if you have arthritis, um, that may be a little bit more extensive. You may need a fusion um, of that involved joint. Um, so both of those types of procedures, whether it's flexible or, or rigid, you need about six to eight weeks off of your foot. Um, so that's the recovery for that. You know, it's funny. I find myself as well as my colleagues as we have all gotten older, um, we we're fine in the morning and we do our thing and we go all day long but as soon as we sit down 
or stop for any period of time and we get up and go walking again or go doing something and you don't have proper shoes on or you're walking barefoot in the house or whatever, all of a sudden we all, we are all complaining about, we all have foot pain and we're all saying we must all have arthritis. I'm sure you hear that all the time from women particularly. Yeah, definitely. I do think, you know, the change in the type of shoes, whether you go from flat to heel, yeah. to nothing, you're you're asking your foot and your ankle to do a lot. And mm-hmm. the feet are really the foundation of the body and they have to ad- adapt constantly. So sometimes it's not surprising when they hurt um, or they're achy. Um, so you really kind of want to support them as much as you can at all times, whether it's more supportive slippers. They do have some slippers that are a little bit more rigid or supportive sandals that have a built-in arch. Um, you know, so you just, you want to be mindful of your shoes that you're wearing too. Yeah, you're talking about it. Flip-flop season is coming, Doc. This is, I know. This is hard for us. Creeping around. Oh, I did, you know, last year I did myself a favor and got really good flip-flop sandals but with the arch and with support and it meant the difference of everything yeah definitely you know as we're and as we're getting older that arthritis is there it definitely is (laughs) over time you're making your foot you know do a lot of work over the years so do you recommend any like exercises we can do when we take our shoes off at night or do anything you know for our feet that would help to stretch, as you said, the muscles and and kind of relax some of the tightness that you you occur when you stop walking? Yeah, definitely. I would say, you know, stretching in general for the whole body is really helpful. Um, So before you get out of the bed, there are simple toe exercises and ankle exercises you can do just to really lengthen and loosen up um, your Achilles and really stretch your toes um, throughout the day. If you have time when you're sitting, you take either a tennis ball or, <laughs> you know, a frozen water bottle, something you can roll that along the arch of your foot. Um, you can, you know, try and pick things up with your toes to keep them stretched and working. Um, you know, that all helps, you know, before you go for a long walk or before you exercise, really do full body stretching um, so that you don't um, sustain an injury. You know, that's what we were talking about when we first, you know, when I first started tonight, you know, because now people are getting themselves, okay, the weather's getting nicer. I got to get out of this house. We're all, we're all COVID crazy this past year, right? Oh, I know. So, you know, you want to get back out into the better, better weather and you're not preparing yourself. You know, I know, I know myself personally. I'm just going to speak probably for my general population out there. We get home from work and we're so tired. We're not even thinking about what shoes we're throwing on. We just want to go get some fresh air. And sometimes I find myself throwing on, you know, my a pair of shoes I would wear in the garden, you know, and I'm yeah. walking all of a sudden and I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have worn these shoes. I've got, I know. You know, and so I think, you know, you're suggested of just taking a few minutes to stretch, especially your feet. I don't think Definitely. we think of stretching our feet. My daughter-in-law is a dancer, and she gave me something you just mentioned was the water bottle. She gave me something that looks like a water bottle that's a foot roll. So I find myself at night now when I take my shoes off, I sit there and use the foot roll to keep my foot stretched. Definitely, definitely taking the time to 
to do that with the foot and and move your ankle around as well because you have a lot of tendons that pass across the ankle joint and go into the foot. And so making sure you stretch um, all the muscles in the leg and, you know, really lengthen those tendons, that also definitely helps um, across the ankle joint too. So, you know, I want to talk a little bit about because some of the you know things that we definitely see or, or talk about in the feet are probably more common that people have heard about in bunions and calluses and all those types of things do you see a lot of those coming into your practice especially bunions let's focus on bunions you know a lot of women get those I think from really bad footwear <laughs> Number one. all of us are all of us are guilty of really bad footwear at some point in our lives and you know years ago I did a lot of orthopedic nursing and we had a podiatrist that would do the bunions and they would be in the hospital for a couple days. They come back from surgery with their foot wrapped up in this thing that would look like a club. <laughs> and he used to sew a little um, flower on their ace bandages. It was the funniest thing. <laughs> but, um, you know, what? let's talk about bunions. What causes them? How common are they? And what do we do nowadays? Because they can be treated. You shouldn't go on with bunions without them getting treated. Yeah, so bunions, similar to flat feet, they're caused by a variety of different um, situations. But definitely there is a genetic component to mm-hmm. bunions. Um, so again, if that if that runs in the family, you may have that type of foot that has a tendency to develop a bunion. Commonly see them in people who do have flat feet as well. Um, so there is a link there. Other conditions like rheumatoid arthritis, um, hmm. people develop bunions with that, or other um, neurological conditions um, and promote a bunion to form. Uh, in addition, you know, shoes, I would say, are not the cause of a bunion, but they do increase the likelihood of developing one. When you force your foot into a shoe, you put your foot in a position that's not natural. Um, so it will cause the big toe to drift over to the second toe and kind of increase that tendency to develop a bunion for sure. Um, and they hurt. And- They're hurt, you know. Uh- They make your foot so uncomfortable. Yes, a lot of people complain of pain at the bunion. So that's the bump on the inside of the foot right Mm -hmm. um, just before the end of the big toe. Um, And a lot of times they're sore because the shoe's pressing on it. Right. Um, So some of the things to try with that are, you know, making sure your shoes are wide enough. And wide enough when you're standing. You always want to try your shoes on when you're standing so your foot really can flatten and bear the weight it would normally bear. Mm. Um, And then that would be the best way to test to see if the shoe was wide enough. Um, Padding as well, putting a gel pad over that bump can sometimes help cushion it because you do have a nerve that runs right over that area, so any pressure can cause some pain there. Um, There are also, you know, bunion splints and toe spacers that sometimes people try And again, it's important to know that those are not permanent corrective devices. It's just going to temporarily realign the the toe so the pressure is kind of off the joint. Um, But it will recur. You know, once you take the device off, you will still have the bunion there. But some people, that may feel good for them. It may help. Right. And then others, 
it may not, and that's when surgery would be indicated for sure. You know, when we look at the foot, you know, especially as we get older, I see so many people as they, you know, as they're getting older, they're developing the feet of their parents, right? Mm-hmm. And it's so uncomfortable. And you know, what? How as in within our, you know, that we could share with others and within my generation, you know, which is, you know, we're in our 60s now and we start looking at our parents' feet and I'm like, oh, I don't want my feet to get like that. Like, I really don't want my feet to get like that. How do we prevent ourselves from going down a path where our feet are so uncomfortable that it makes ambulation later on in our lives uncomfortable and and almost intolerant when you want to maintain an active lifestyle like what should people look for and how could they maintain healthy feet yeah i think the first step that it starts with the type of shoes you wear Mm. you really i know fashion is everything for some people but you really want to look at support and comfort first over um, style, but now they're making very stylish shoes that are supportive and healthy. There's definitely a push for that. So, I would say first, make sure you're in good supportive shoes. Avoid wearing very high heels. Um, it puts a lot of pressure on the ball of your foot, um, and it can increase your chance of injury. Whether oh yeah, it's rolling my rolling my ankle, rolling your ankle. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I would say start with good, healthy shoes. That would be number one. Number two, maintain a healthy diet and weight. And I know Mm -hmm. it's very hard, you know, with limited activity, um, with COVID especially being active, but that gaining weight does put just increased pressure on your feet, causing them to be more painful. And also developing stress fractures and more motion at certain joints causing arthritis. So maintaining a healthy diet and weight is also important. And I would say also don't ignore pain. Mm. If you have pain and you have an ache that you maybe get once or twice to ignore, but then it starts to come up over and over again, don't ignore it. Definitely see a specialist um, because there may be something underlying um, that needs to be addressed. and so those would be the main things I would say to do. And I would say definitely also, especially with the warmer weather coming up as well, um, your feet have skin on it as well. Hmm. So if you're going to be out in the sun, definitely put sunscreen on your feet hmm. and your ankles and your lower legs. You know, Don't ignore that area because there are um, skin cancers that can develop on the lower extremities that you have to be mindful of. Um, so that's another thing. Um, but... Again, if you have foot pain, um, don't ignore it. Um, You may need to have some sort of intervention surgically to correct it. And I will say, um, if you have a bunion and you correct it earlier Mm. versus later, the recovery is easier. When you get older, it's harder to recover. It's harder to stay off of your foot. Um, Surgery can be a little bit more risky. So the longer you wait to kind of address some of these deformities, whether it's, you know, a bunion, a flat foot, right. you know, ankle injuries or ankle arthritis, anything like that, it just gets harder to recover if you kind of delay. Um, there are so many different techniques out there now and treatment options, um, but, you know, address things earlier. Right. You you just mentioned something that um, I'm glad you brought up because I think people don't really understand what it is. They hear the term, but they're not sure what it is and how it happens um, are stress fractures. So how does a stress fracture occur in the foot and how do we treat it? 
Sure. So stress fractures can happen in kind of two different ways. You have excessive uh, activity or weight or um, stress on bone that's normal. Mm-hmm. So you're doing more. Or you have weaker bone from, let's say, a vitamin D deficiency or um, some sort of autoimmune issue or um, osteoporosis, and you have normal weight on unhealthy bone. So those two things can occur. So, you know, excessive activity on healthy bone and um, normal weight and activity on unhealthy bone. And then people kind of, when they, we have to determine what's the cause of the stress fracture, but the treatment most of the time is rest and offloading. So if it's in one of the metatarsals in the foot, we commonly will uh, put you into a a boot uh, that has a hard surface that you can walk on. Um, Always checking, you know, vitamin D levels and calcium and everything to make sure there's no deficiency. A lot of people are vitamin D deficient. I find that a lot. Um, so making sure they're supplemented as well from that standpoint. Um, and commonly I see this in the metatarsals. I also see it in the fibula. So that's one of the bones um, in the ankle joint. And a lot of marathon runners or mm-hmm. people who are very active, they tend to get those there. And again, offloading is important. Sometimes people need um, the use of a bone stimulator. Or sometimes if it does not go on to heal with those non-surgical options, surgery with um, plating, the fracture is sometimes needed. Yeah. How do you diagnose it? Can you see it on an x-ray? So that's a great question. So bone changes on x-ray, we can kind of see at two-week intervals. Um, So initially when we get an x-ray, you may not see anything. So you wait two weeks and then you may see a little change in the bone. That's sometimes a sign, but then also um, advanced imaging with an MRI is sometimes needed. Um, so if there's nothing really on x-ray that we can see, but there's this definitive and distinct pain right. that we we find um, when you come in for an evaluation, we sometimes go on to get advanced imaging with like an MRI, and that will highlight the area of the stress fracture. Have you noticed that if someone gets a stress fracture in a particular area, that that area is compromised? for the future and can so, reoccur? So they definitely can reoccur um, if you don't address the underlying right. cause, um, whether that's some sort of you know deficiency in, in, or bone health is poor. Um, but stabilizing it with plate and screw fixation can prevent that from occurring. Fixing any sort of foot alignment deformities that are present that are putting more pressure on one side of the foot versus the other or putting more pressure on the ankle if you have a certain type of foot uh, type. You know, if you don't address that, some people are more prone to developing it again. Um, so you really have to kind of address the underlying causes of that. But once you do that, a lot of the times people recover uh, well. I have a list of, I, I picked all these different foot and ankle surgeries <laughs> for podiatry. So I just, I want to make sure that I hit the ones that I think people will hear about the most, but also some unique things that maybe they're not thinking that fall into the world of podiatry. Um, One of the things I had read about, but I honestly, even as a nurse, I truly never heard about it. I've heard about carpal tunnel. We know what that is, but I read something about tarsal tunnel. What is that? Mm -hmm. So that's a great topic. So tarsal tunnel syndrome is definitely, it's the comparison to the carpal tunnel. So it's basically compression of one of the nerves in the foot. 
hmm. posterior tibial nerve. So that's a nerve that comes down behind your ankle on the inside and goes into the bottom of your foot and gives you sensation there. And uh, one of the causes of that is it's varied, but some people have varicose veins or prominent veins within this small compartment that has the nerve in it. So hmm. pressure on the nerve from that can cause tarsal tunnel syndrome. Some people have um, what we call ganglion cysts or any sort of soft tissue mass within that area that's pressing on the nerve that can cause tarsal tunnel syndrome. Um, and when we say tarsal tunnel syndrome, people complain of numbness, tingling, burning, shooting pain in their foot. Huh. Um, pain that's not relieved um, with you know, anti-inflammatories or anything like that. A lot of the times it can be mistaken for plantar fasciitis, so you really have to listen to what the patient's saying about what their symptoms are and what they're feeling. But when we hear burning pain or shooting, that points to um, kind of tarsal tunnel syndrome. And how do you diagnose it? Yeah, that can be further diagnosed. One, clinically, there's a huge clinical aspect to it. Um, Sometimes ordering non-invasive studies like an EMG or NCV, so it's a nerve conduction study that looks at the functioning of that nerve. If there's any impaired functioning, that can sometimes tell us there's compression on it so the nerve signals aren't traveling to the rest of the foot. Um, So that's one way. MRI as well can help tell us is if there is any sort of soft tissue mass in that area of the tarsal tunnel um, that needs to be removed. Um, so something like that, you definitely want to address sooner rather than later because nerves take a long time to recover. Right. So the sooner we can intervene on it, the more chance the nerve um, can recover and return to normal function. And what do you do to intervene? So initially... Um, always try and kind of conservative things first. So injections can sometimes help to see if you do a diagnostic injection around the area of the nerve to see if the symptoms resolve. And sometimes it does, so that gives us an indication. Um, But if there's something still pressing on it, an injection won't alleviate that. You have to go in surgically and release all of the um, constrictors on that nerve. And so we do that surgically to do that. So after carpal tunnel, people always have to go to physical therapy. Is that something Mm -hmm. that has to happen after this too? Yes, definitely. You know, I think one of the most important things with recovery is early range of motion um, to decrease the chance of scar tissue and also to promote early mobility. So physical therapy is definitely indicated after this. Yeah, I had never heard of it. And I saw it. I said, well, isn't that interesting? I said, it's definitely something I wanted to bring up to you tonight because it's not something I've ever heard about within the foot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. It definitely happens. Um, um, It's one of the more common nerve issues that we can sometimes see in the foot um, with certain patients, for sure. And, you know, we, you mentioned numbness and tingling. And you know, there's a lot of patients out there that have true neuropathies in their feet. Mm-hmm. Do you see a lot of patients like that coming into your office? I do see a few patients um, with neuropathy. Um, it's very common in patients who have diabetes. Right. Um, diabetes is not the only cause of neuropathy, mm-hmm. so that's important. Um, there are vitamins 
deficiencies that can contribute to uh, neuropathy. Um, there are genetic conditions that can contribute to neuropathy. But I would say diabetes is probably the number one um, cause of neuropathy that um, that I sometimes see um, with my patients. And um, it's, it's difficult to manage, but it is manageable. Um, and I think managing expectations about what people can expect with treatment um, is definitely helpful. Uh, you may not have complete return of sensation, but it's definitely linked with management of blood sugar, so that's right. really important. And there's medicines um, that usually the neurologist or the primary care provider manages um, to help with neuropathy. To help with the neuropathy. You know, there's. Yeah. I, I know patients that have had strokes, too, that they yeah. have that incredible sensation of when you touch that foot or that side. They have some feeling there, and they utilize that part of the body, but it's just a, an incredibly weird sensation when yeah. you're touching that foot. And I, I think it's kind of along the same lines. Yeah, definitely. Some people have more hypersensitivity or it just doesn't feel normal. Right. So, yeah, there definitely are um, various, you know, treatment options, whether it's oral medications or some people get relief with topical kind of compounding medications as well um, to, to manage the symptoms. Um, and if, I'm sure your concern as you know, within your specialty for a patient like that is them not paying attention to something else that could be going on in the foot, whether it's a pressure sore or an ingrown toenail or something they're not fully feeling. Yeah, you know, in my practice setting, I don't see too many uh, wounds and manage that, but I right. always tell patients who I see with diabetes, you know, you have to check your feet. Right. Or with not only diabetes, but any type of neuropathy, you must check your feet because you can't feel your feet, so you have to see them. Um, so looking at the feet, checking between the toes, making sure there's no cuts or, or, or wounds or anything is very critical. And also patients with neuropathy, they're prone to injury. Mm. And... Um, some of the major, you know, complications that I do see is if someone slips and falls and, for example, they, you know, break their ankle, that's one of the more common ones, they can really develop a deformity called Charcot um, after they break their ankle and it's maybe sometimes it's fixed, let's say, with hardware. And with being neuropathic, you're not feeling the normal weight you're putting on your foot. So your ankle can become very unstable and your joints can um, become disrupted and you can really develop a severe um, deformity there. Um, also with neuropathy and diabetics, I see that charcoal deformity in the foot. Um, so people come in with a red hot swollen foot wow. and um, we then do x-rays and see that there's complete disruption of commonly the midfoot joint and they can be dislocated and that is definitely something that's concerning there is definitely a high uh, rate of limb loss if this goes wow. neglected whether it's in the foot or the ankle you want to be really mindful of that um, that's one of the more severe conditions I see with people who have neuropathy um, that I always look out for. Yeah, it's so important, you know, as, as a nurse, we're always checking our patients from head to toe um, when yeah. we're, you know, I, when I was working on the floors. And um, it's so important to look 
at those patients in totality and you know when you yeah. I'm sure for yourself as you're just saying just you know a patient comes in with foot pain or decreased sensitivity once they take their shoes off and you examine their feet it's a whole new world it's a whole new surprise when socks <laughs> come off you know? <laughs> I you know I don't want the time to go by without talking about some within the the surgical aspect of of your specialty but you also sure. take care of trauma of the foot absolutely yeah that's definitely one of um, the areas that I'm um, the most interested in is the traumatic aspect of injuries to the foot and ankle so what Describe a trauma to the foot and what you would, I know, you know, throughout your your training and now as you, you've come to, you know, be part of Trinity, what are some of the more common uh, traumas that you could see with the feet? Uh, so, you know, people sometimes, you know, one of the simple ones that happens is, you know, someone stubs their toe. Oh. Um, sometimes they call it a bedpost fracture. You stub your toe in the middle of the night and you can sometimes fracture your I could your, feel your, your it. <laughs> Sometimes you fracture that small toe. There's not much surgically to do for it. We usually just splint it and what we call buddy tape it. Um, Then there are more severe injuries of the foot. Um, You know, if someone's in a car accident, for example, and they're stepping on the brake really hard and there's an impact collision, some people can develop um, what's known as a Liz Frank fracture. So that is a fracture and dislocation that can happen in the bones of the midfoot. Wow. And these sometimes can be very subtle, um, or they can be pretty obvious um, if there's a gross dislocation of that um, joint complex. Um, and it requires typically, if it's you know really obvious surgery, um, to really realign that area because that joint complex, your Liz Frank joint in the midfoot, really helps create an arch for your foot. Wow. So if you don't reconstruct that um, and repair that, you can have significant collapse in the arch and then further changes up the chain. So deformities that develop in your your, your hind foot and your ankle and, and higher up. So that has to be corrected. So that's one of the traumas. I think I when see. we, I think when we think of something like that, and with them, you know, us putting screws and plates in there, you think to yourself, how do you even walk on that foot after? Yeah, well, the hardware, and that's one thing I really do love about um, kind of trauma surgery and the advances in technology um, in terms of um, management of the foot and ankle trauma or reconstructive surgery. Is a lot of advancements in the hardware. Um, and there's strong, there's stronger metals that are being used. Um, there's plates that are very low profile because there's not much, there's not many layers in the foot. Right, there's not much um, room. <laughs> there's not much room, so you don't want to feel all that metal. So, um, right, plates and screws really hold everything together. Sometimes we use staples. There's a lot of different, um, uh, there's a lot of different types of hardware we use there. But there's a lot of advances in the technology, which is really great as well. You know, I um, I know a patient um, a few years ago. Um, she was actually um, someone that my mom had broken her leg, and she ended up being my mom's roommate. But she broke her ankle, and I could not believe how long it took her to recover. Yeah, and, it depends. It depends on the patient's age and right. everything too, um, and how severe the break is. Mm. Um, yeah, so that's it's important to note that you know definitely you know bone itself takes six to eight weeks to heal, but I think what's really 
great is that with the hardware that um, we use nowadays is that the goal is to restore the ankle joint alignment and restore the bones to their normal position. And then once that's in place with a good, strong hardware, after your skin is healed, really start doing range of motion exercises. So not necessarily putting weight on the foot, but moving the ankle up and down all around and doing those exercises. And then once you're in the stages where the bone is more stable, progress to weight bearing and then progress to some physical therapy to help. Um, But early mobility is important and range of motion is really important to getting back to normal functioning. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when there's a trauma like that, it, it, you know, the ankle and the foot supports your whole body. Exactly. So, so you have to get it strong. I, I just couldn't believe how much therapy was definitely needed. You don't even think of what the impact was, but, you know, exactly. it, it was amazing. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely very important. If you think about it, the ankle joint is a very small surface area that has to carry the whole entire body. Um, so we have two, but, you know, the right. small surface area with a lot of force going through it. So, you know, really intervening and fixing them to pretty much near anatomic alignment is so critical so that you have really good, strong um, support um, down the road. But it does take some time to recover. These are um, pretty severe injuries sometimes. So it takes some time. You know, and, and, you know, to let the audience know, I mean, one of the really unique pieces to your specialty is now, you know, we're making sure, you know, that you're going to be part of the call team. So when something happens in the emergency room, they know how to reach someone that's a foot and ankle specialist to treat it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, That's something that it's, you know, really great, you know, to have a specialist that's focused on the ankle and the foot to be available for any sort of, you know, questions or consults or any um, hands-on um, intervention that's needed to manage it. Because the, the foot, um, there's so many bones in the foot. There's a lot of things that can be easily overlooked when you're dealing with a big overall trauma, you know, of the whole body if something's, you know, a car accident or right. something. Right, um, So there's a lot of things that can be overlooked. Um, so I'm really happy to be a part of um, that call team to be available for ankle and foot pathology and trauma. And as we grow and more and more people become involved, we will, this will be more recognized specialty. And, you know, that was the point of tonight, too, to make sure that we educate our community as to what specialty we are promoting and, and call attention to it so people know how much more podiatry does. Right, yeah. I think it's really important to know that um, podiatrists, they specialize just like every other Mm -hmm. medical specialty does. And there's a subset of podiatrists, foot and ankle specialists is what I like to to say, or foot and ankle surgeons. And and that is what we do. We're board um, eligible or board certified by the American Board of Foot and Ankle Surgeons. And that is what we are. And we definitely are experts on the foot and ankle. And we treat everything in between. So everything from the pretty much the knee down is uh, what we can see and treat. And so I really hope people learned a lot from this discussion and really can see that the 
field is very expansive. So you just have to look for the specialist um, with the knowledge in that area. And yes. be in good hands. So excited. And we actually yeah. um, brought you out to our newest urgent care center the other day in Rocky Hill and yeah. to introduce them. So, you know, sometimes these sports injuries happened on the weekend and they stop into an urgent care center and now they know that they can reach out to you and uh, actually Absolutely. you can consult with them. Absolutely. I am here and available for any consultations. So I want to make sure everyone has an opportunity to um, learn more about you. So you can definitely visit our website, trinityhealthofne.org. Um, and if you type in a Dr. Amy Bruce or Amy Bruce, it is one of the easier names I've had to say over the years. <laughs> Uh, if you type in Amy Boost to search a physician, she will pull up. Um, you'll be able to see where she's located right now. You're in our Glastonbury location, correct? In Farmington yeah. also? So I'm in Glastonbury right now, soon to be in West Hartford. Okay, and great. So, yes. yes, I'll be covering a, dis- a couple of different areas. That's awesome. We're, we're going to spread you over the greater Hartford market. I love it. Thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you so much for joining us tonight. And we're going to hold the liberty to invite you back. Wonderful. Thank I, you. I'm enjoying. I'd love to come back and talk more with you. Absolutely. Thank you, Doc. Have an awesome night. Thank you. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So I want to thank Dr. Bruce for um, giving of her time tonight to talk a bit more about the specialty, the foot and ankle specialist surgeons. It is so important to understand in the world of podiatry, there's so much more um, that can be offered. We are going to continue this conversation probably um, either next week or within two weeks. I'll bring in some of our ones for the greater Waterbury area who are helping us um, actually to bring together a whole team, a call team at St. Mary's Hospital for our foot and ankle surgeon. So we're very excited to have this specialty in our midst. Um, I also want to welcome you to go onto our website, learn a bit more. I always give this plug about our COVID vaccine and where you can get that. If you have not done that and you need that opportunity, please go on trinityhealthofne.org, click on the um, COVID virus update and the vaccine update, and you'll be able to learn more how you can get that service. Um, I hope everyone has an incredible, beautiful weekend. I will actually be back next week because Johnny and I messed up on the timing of our program. So I will definitely be back next week um, and looking forward to um, enjoying another program with you. Take care. Robin Sills, Trinity Health of New England. Have a great night. 